Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. This is Josue Cardona. With me today is Doug Ronning, a licensed marriage and family therapist and registered drama therapist in the San Francisco area, and also a former screenwriter on various projects, including the old Tales from the Crypt series. Um, so today we're going to talk with Doug about monster archetypes and therapy and a lot of cool stuff he's doing in that area. So Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. All right. So, so we're going to talk monsters. Um, and I know you use this in therapy. How did this start? Like where, where did this idea come from and, and where are you coming from with this? Uh, well, a couple of things. Um, when I was in school still, we had to do what's called a pre-practicum before we actually did our internship. Um, and um, I did mine at a psych hospital um, for uh, adolescents um, who were, had been 5150s. That's a, a law here in California um, where kids are kept under a 24-hour watch in a hospitalized setting if they are considered a danger to themselves or others. Um, and originally I was there with some colleagues. We were, uh, they would tell their stories and then we would enact them in what's called playback theater. Uh, where we would do them as plays. But then one of my colleagues who worked there had asked me, um, knowing that I uh, used to be a screenwriter, asked if I would be interested in doing a movie-making workshop with the, the teens. So I, uh, I agreed, because I, really, I had really in, done, enjoyed doing the plays with them. And so I did it on Saturday mornings. It was a five-hour thing where we uh, would take an hour to create the, the story, and then an hour filming it, and then an hour making posters and tickets and, and uh, popcorn, all on, on, on the psych wing, and uh, adding music and things to the video. And then when the families came at lunchtime, we would all watch it together, and then we would in, have a ceremony where we would erase it at the end. And one day when um, uh, one of the teens who had was a large engine behind the, the, the story and was going to be the lead actress, um, had a panic attack and, and wanted to drop out of the film. Uh, there was, we lost energy. We, we ended up not making the film and, and there was no energy from the other teens. Um, and my colleague had suggested that I bring the tales from the crypts that I wrote uh, so that I could share them with the teens. Um, and then they would have the experience of talking with a screenwriter and asking what it was like to you know, make stuff up and be there on the set when actors were saying it. And so uh, the episode that I ended up bringing was called The Secret, which is about a little boy who gets adopted by this weird couple. And the weird couple are actually vampires who are sweetening him up and they're planning to devour him. But he has this old family secret and uh, he turns into a werewolf and he ends up devouring them before they can devour him. Um, and as, we were watch as I was watching with the teens, there was this one boy who throughout the entire, uh, as we were trying to make the film earlier had not said anything um and uh um completely nonverbal. and then during the television show he looked over at me and he grinned widely uh when the kid <laughs> turned into a werewolf and then afterwards when we were starting this process to ask the kids so what 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 did you like about it what do you want to talk about immediately he raised his hand um to go first uh, and he said, it reminded me of my inner wolf, and he, and he pounded his fists on his chest. And I was really moved um, at that point, I was, because I remembered when I was a teenager how monster movies uh, were really containing for me because they, um, uh, 
they allowed me to have really intense feelings, but they were in a very contained way. Um, and particularly coming from a kind of abusive household and uh, those kinds of things, it really felt containing. And, and that's one of the reasons why I still love monster movies to this day and why uh, it, it led me to think that I could use them in my practice. Um, and uh, in my private practice, I, I often use them in a more postmodern way. Uh, for example, um, I had seen a poet by the name of Poetry, P-O-E-T-R-I. Um, he's a slam poet. I'd seen him on Deaf Poetry. And he did this amazing poem called Monsters in My Stomach. Um, and uh, he is challenged with an eating disorder. Um, he overeats. Um, and in the poem, he talks about how he has these monsters in his stomach that force him to eat. And I thought it was one of the most poignant descriptions of addiction or compulsive behaviors that I'd ever heard um, because narrative therapy, externalizing the problem um, so that it doesn't become about uh, the weakness of the client has always spoke to me. But one of the things that didn't really fit was that people feel compulsive behaviors so acutely in their bodies. And here was a way of externalizing the problem, but then putting it inside of the body. So um, at the time I was working at a drug and alcohol agency as the program director, and I decided to do this with groups where I would um, play the poem, and at the end, poetry asks the question, uh, states, I have monsters in my stomach, where are yours? And I would just say to the group, um, I want you to answer the question. Um, the one direction I did give is, I don't want you to make your heart the monster or your stomach the monster, that you find a monster archetype that you're then placing in your body somewhere um, that, uh, that speaks to the act hungers that you have that lead to the compulsive behaviors. Um, and it worked really well um, every time I did it. And I still use that with my individual clients today, even with um, people with OCD. And, and uh, they listen to the poem and they get it right away. Um, so that's a, that's an example. And I've heard, I've had examples like, um, sirens, uh, in my heart that are beckoning to my doom, uh, you know, um, monsters in my legs, um, uh, that are, you know, making them run. This was someone who had an eating disorder and, and used compulsive exercise. Um, so they were demons in her legs that were possessing her to, to, to run like a maniac. Um, so I, I find it really, really powerful way of, of, um, externalizing the problem. And as a drama therapist, I will often after doing the poem in subsequent sessions, externalize the problem, the, the problem in the empty chair, like gestalt, um, mm -hmm. and then have them either interview the problem Role reverse, uh, which is a, a drama therapy technique in which um, they'll role reverse with the monster, and then I will step into the part of them where I'll say the last thing that they said and ask the question of the monster, and they'll answer as the monster, and then I'll say reverse roles, and they'll step back into themselves, and I'll step into the monster chair and say the last thing they said. Um, so those are some of the kinds of examples that I, and what kind of inspired me to really start to use monsters in my work. 
and I guess the idea of a monster just resonates with people. You don't have to explain what a monster is or come up with specific monsters in particular. Just the word, it means enough to clients to, yeah. to just go with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there is, there's actually a, a, a book called um, Taming Your Gremlin, which is a, it's a very similar kind of, uh, only he uses the idea of gremlins. Um, and he wrote this in the 80s. So uh, I'm guessing it was around the time of the Gremlins movies um, yeah. where uh, he would help name their gremlin. So what is the gremlin that is leading you to procrastinate? What is the gremlin that is leading you to have, you know, bad romantic relationships? What is the gremlin that is limiting your success? Um, and they would do a role analysis of that gremlin. And then and he, he has a book called Taming your gremlin and it's a very similar kind of to the, the way that I use the, the monster archetypes. And um, so how are you taking this concept um, further? Like, uh, so, so today are, what other examples um, of, of how you use monsters? Um, do you use them in therapy? Do you use them in groups? Uh, I do both. Um, currently I'm at work on a book called uh, Creature Comforts and Sublime Mysteries. Um, and I have a workshop series um, and I'm planning to launch a blog soon uh, called Monster Movie Salon here in San Francisco. Um, I did my first salon last October. Uh, and this is uh, an idea. Uh, this started as kind of a germ of an idea back when I, again, while I was still in school, we had to create a workshop. Um, and right coming off the heels of where I'd had the experience with the boy uh, naming his inner wolf, I was asked to create a workshop that really speaks to me to kind of introduce people to drama therapy. And I thought, I'm going to do something around monster archetypes. So I created this workshop called Dancing with Monsters. Um, later found out there's already a book called Dancing with Monsters, which is about uh, <laughs> facing cancer. So then I came up with the, uh, as I was starting to write it, Creature Comforts and Sublime Mysteries. Um, okay. And... Um, which is a great title. Thank you. Um, but in the... <laughs> Yeah, so in the in the workshop series, which is a reflection of the book, I, I basically the outline of the workshop um, follows the way that I've outlined the book. Um, the The initial one is five hours long, and um, and then I take people through uh, monster. First is monster as entertainer, then monster as muse, then monster as cultural barometer. Um, then monstrous archetype, and then ultimately monstrous wisdom bearer or, or parable. And this is where the this last one is where the brunt of my own work is in in in, um, in both the book and the workshop series. So uh, I start by using film clips to introduce people to the monster tale, uh, and uh, very much use a kind of a mythological uh, like um, I have people practice. Uh, t telling monster tales, for example, one of the exercises I do with with uh, participants is where they'll be in a circle paired off where there's an inner circle and an outer circle and they're facing each other. Um, and then uh, I'll say, okay, participant one, I want you to, in three lines, tell about a protagonist um, with a problem. And I'll introduce the protagonist. Okay, participant two, um, I'm going to ask you to now create the monster. So you now know what the protagonist is. You get to create the monster that this protagonist is going to come in contact with. And so they do that in three lines. They switch back. What is, how does the um, protagonist 
interact with the monster? Does he run away? Does he, you know, and they can make the monster anything they want. It can be a piece of stinky cheese. It can be a werewolf. It can be, you know, a demonic bullfrog, whatever they want it to be. Um, and then the last person will culminate the story. Um, how does this end? You know, where the monster devours or the mon- they become best buddies or whatever. Throughout the workshop, we're watching film clips and then we're bringing, bringing it into the personal as well. Um, uh, as Monsters Entertainer, I'm exploring the kind of storytelling components, uh, the innermost cave, uh, the, the thought of the, the, the innermost cave, um, different kinds of monster movies. Um, uh, there are different kinds of categorizations. One is based on uh, where's the setting of the monster movie? Um, so is it set on the, in the monster's world or is it set in our world where the monster is visiting, like Godzilla or, uh, or like Alien would be the, the opposite where it's set in, in, the, in the, the monster's world? Or, um, or is it a, a story that's focused... Uh, another categorization would be um, where did the monster come from? Did it come from outer space? Did it come from... Which would be, you know supernatural did it come out of the spirit like demons like in uh the exorcist or in witchcraft movies or ghosts um or did it come out of disease uh like cabin fever uh or like many of the zombie pictures um so we'll, we'll that's all part of how we um explore monsters entertainer all of the different ways that people have kind of categorized monster movies um then as Monster is Muse, and we'll talk about uh, how um, people have taken monster archetypes and kind of adapted them and, and made them their own. Um, so as part of Monster is Muse, oh, this is where I'll talk about uh, how psych- psychology is interpreted monster movies. So um, I'll talk about it through the prism of psychoanalysis, um, then talk about it through the prism of existential therapy, uh, like Kirk Schneider does in, in Horror and the Holy, where he looks at monster movies through the idea of expansion uh, or constriction, uh, like Dracula, uh, I think is a really interesting example because he, um, on the surface, looks like he'd be all about expansion because he can fly and he can turn into different animals and he has the ability to hypnotize and and yet... It was a very constricted life because he can only come out at night and he actually sleeps in a coffin and uh, he is, you know, everything that he does is driven by this one thirst, this one uh, that he consumes human blood. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting kind of way of looking at, at the monster tale. Or in the postmodern um, where uh, we use you know, interpretations of horror movies or monster movies to deconstruct, um, for example, the degeneration of society or the American family. I'll use these after we talk about the the ways that others have interpreted them and used them as a muse. We'll use them amuse, as a muse in the room. So uh, again, we'll do some creative exercises. I do things called monster transformations where um, people, uh, uh, we play a game again in a circle where people will enter the circle as a monster and maybe as Godzilla and then make eye contact with somebody and they step into the circle and transform it into Frankenstein's monster. And uh, this is partly just to get them into their bodies. 
Um, but that's another example of, and it was amazing how much energy there was in this exercise because I thought, oh, this will be like a two or three minute thing just to get them in their, in their bodies. They were having so much fun at the first at the first workshop that we played that for probably 10 minutes where people were just, uh, adults are so very rarely given uh, permission to play. Um, yeah, yeah. And here, again, I have very contained ways of, of playing um, yeah. and having them play. Um, so those are some of the, some of the ways that I, uh, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but those are some of the ways that I uh, talk about uh, monsters and explore monsters during the workshop. Uh, I did my first workshop last October, um, okay. and there were, it was very interesting because I was expecting it was going to be a lot of geeky guys like myself, uh, <laughs> and it ended up being all women who ended up. Mm-hmm. I had men who had had RCP'd, but it ended up being all women and all but one women of color, um, which was interesting, particularly because one of the archetypes that I was looking at was white male patriarchy as monsters. So uh, it led to some really interesting uh, explorations in the last couple of hours of the workshop. I can imagine, yeah. So um, as part of my own uh, epistemology of monsters, um, I was inspired um, by, in drama therapy, uh, one of the schools of drama therapy is role theory, uh, which was created by uh, Robert Landy, who teaches uh, out of NYU. And um, he has done a classification of roles, uh, archetypal roles, like the trickster uh, or the romantic. Um, and he divides them under uh, the streams of human experience. So the affective stream, the cognitive stream, the spiritual stream, the physical stream. Uh, I really liked this as a classification, so when I decided to start really exploring um, monsters rather than archetypes um, from my work, I actually look at them as characters. So um, uh, rather than the kind of archetypal motifs, I'll speci- we set specific characters um, and we'll explore them. So for example, if I say it is monster, um, some of the monsters that would come to mind, of course, would be the Invisible Man or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or the creature in Fantastic Planet um, and, um, I'll, or Society as Monster, you know, the, the, the creatures in They Live or Invasion of the Body, the McCarthy-inspired monsters of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or... Um, the allegory of the different zombies in Romero movies, like in Dawn of the Dead, where they're set in a mall, is very much about consumer culture. Um, whereas later, uh, there was the one that was set in the tower, uh, where it's really about um, social class. You know, he uses the zombies to, to illustrate things about social class. Even the very first one, I mean, says so much about race and so much about... Um, having an African-American hero at a time where racism was still really rampant. And then, of course, is the tragic ending in the original, uh, which is focused on that. So society is monster, um, and we'll uh, we'll explore those. And then I will have uh, the participants actually choose a monster to do a role analysis of. Um, And this is really personal work because they're choosing something that speaks to them for really innate reasons, you know, something that really uh, either resonates with them or, um, and uh, 
they'll explore it from all of this. So I'll ask them to explore what is the spiritual life life of this monster? What is the physical life? What is the... Um, and then uh, we take this into action as well. Uh, one of the exercises I do is um, this kind of fun uh, talk show where I'm the talk show host and, uh, and we'll choose several people at a time and then there'll be a couple of people who will be audience um, and I'll interview them on a panel um, so that, again, we're highlighting the differences of the, of the, the monster creatures. And, um, and we're not getting the monsters directly from the movies because they're being siphoned through the personalities and interpretations of the participants of the group. Um, yeah. but, uh, but it's fascinating um, work. And it's also really fun because throughout the workshop, I'm, um, I'm showing film clips. I show about a, a two dozen film clips. And I'm turning people on to all sorts of monster movies they didn't, they'd never heard of. Um, yeah. And I don't only explore horror movies, I should say. So um, when I ask, what is a monster? Uh, and we, maybe we should have even started there. Because, uh, you know, when we think, is Edward Scissorhands, for example, a monster? You know, because uh, certainly he meets the criteria for like being the outsider, being strange, but there's nothing, I mean, he doesn't, he, he doesn't set out to harm anyone, but neither does Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Um, and so we, we start by exploring what is a monster. Um, and I'll, uh, I exp- I'll use film clips from Monsters, Inc., um, from Naked <laughs> Lunch, uh, from Pan's Labyrinth, uh, which is very much a drama and, and yeah. an anti-war film. Um, so we explore all kinds of um, monsters and not just those from the, the, the classic monster movies. But one of, my, one of my favorites is when we're looking at a family as monster is to look at the siblings in um, a basket case, uh, which is this great low-budget 80s movie. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, where... Uh, there's a good-looking brother and this, this deformed kind of gelatinous uh, brother, uh, and they're conjoined twins, and they're separated when they're young. Um, and and uh, they, everybody thinks that the, the one brother was killed, but the, uh, the normative brother uh, carries the little brother around in a basket, and they go about killing um, uh, all sorts of people who originally set them you know set to to cut them apart um but uh, could hollywood get away with making movies like that today oh that's a good question <laughs> uh well i don't know that because there's when you look at like some of the like uh some of the the the, the low budget features today i think are even like the human centipede mm-hmm. or yeah. the abcs of death I mean, there are some really interesting uh, monster movies still being made today. Splice, I thought, was was really brilliant from a couple of years ago. And that's one of them that I actually, when we we talk about daughter monster. um, And uh, we we talked about that earlier, about the different family roles. And I thought that that was really, really great. Because I remember having clients, I, I always start by asking clients what they like and what they're into. And a lot of teenagers love uh, horror movies and they love monster movies. I guess we don't, wouldn't call them monster movies now, right? We just call them horror movies. Um, and they, they, they like them. They love them. They, they're, they make a lot of money, so they keep coming out. 
and I never thought about um, the different, uh, like the father monster and the mother monster and, and, and that type of uh, thing that keeps popping up in the different movies. Um, it's always been that way, but it's amazing to, to see which movie a client would resonate with and then see, you know, what, what they're trying to say about um, that particular one and, the, and who the monster is in that movie. Mm-hmm. One of the film clips I showed it was from Dead Alive. Uh, one of Peter Jackson's early works, really low budget, very gory horror movie. Um, and in it, the monster mother, there's this kind of tyrannic, tyrannical um, mother. And uh, she liter- quite literally transforms into this gargantuan monster at the end. And that's the scene that I showed. And it really spoke to a lot of the women <laughs> in the, in the uh, workshop um, who had never heard of this movie before. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite scenes of all time is the scene in the restroom in the shining in the men's room where you have these two white men, um, talking about how they have to, uh, correct their wives and children, even if it means homicide. One of, that is such a chilling, chilling scene. Um, and yet these are just two dads in the men's room, talking as if talking about, you know, the football game. Um, and uh, really, that's a, another one of the clips that I show when we're talking about Leia's monster. So that, the, the workshop sounds fantastic. So, you, so you're going to do it again soon? Yes, I'm, I'm doing it again on October 26th here in San Francisco. I think I may actually change. Uh, I know uh, some of the people who came the last time uh, may want to come again, so I may actually ch- change the um, archetypes that I look at. I may look at gender as monster, for example, um, or the other as monster. Um, but I'll, I may change up the, the, the allegories uh, that, that I explore, the parables that I explore in the last, last part of the workshop. So, so for the Creature Comforts and, and Sublime Mysteries workshop, um, how do you, like, uh, what is, uh, what, what's the marketing for it, right? Like, what is the, is it to, um, like, learn more about yourself? Is it to learn more about monsters? Um, why why are, are people coming to this workshop? Uh, yes, it is a personal growth workshop. Yet I kind of undersell that. Um, uh, as part of the marketing, I let people know that that this is a, uh, a play workshop that you know you can expect to be do some personal writing, um, make art. Uh, that that there will be movement, um, sort of wear wear comfortable clothing. But for a lot of people who don't know what drama therapy is, um, it would be hard to kind of describe what what to expect. So, um, but the idea is very much um, personal growth through. Um, an exploration of the kind of monster stories and monster archetypes. And do you do similar? Do you do similar work in your private practice? Um, so, do you bring film clips up, or do you talk about uh, monsters with your clients? I I don't bring film clips in. I very it depends on the client. So, for example, uh, I have a client who uh, uh, is very much into RPGs, and he's a he's a, very much a, a geek, a teenage teenage geek. And um, so, yes, we will spend a good amount of time exploring characters of film, characters in films. As a matter of fact, one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to, um, Stephen King has these things called buck shots or buck, buck shorts, 
where you can uh, send him a dollar and take uh, any of his short stories and turn them into uh, uh, short films, so long as you're not making them for, um, you know, for a profit or for commercial use. Um, and he wanted to make uh, the film of um, The Boogeyman, which is about a guy who goes to a therapist uh, because he's, he's seeing The Boogeyman. Um, and he wanted to cast me as the, as the therapist and actually play it himself. Um, <laughs> I checked in and it seemed to, because even if he did, you know, even if this was all being driven from him, and drama therapy will very much play roles and, and do these kinds of enactments um, as part of the work. You know, like I said when I was talking about where I will enroll myself as the monster and role reverse with them so that they they, they get an opportunity to, to carry on both sides of the conversation, even though they're doing all of the talking, I'll be the I'll be the stand-in, for example. Okay. Um, but uh, I thought that was um, I, I actually checked with Camped, which is the legal, and they said no, that's probably <laughs> crossing a line, making it a film where, particularly in that story, the the uh, therapist ends up being the boogeyman. So I wonder what. I wonder what my client was. I think he just thought that was kind of fun and clever that that was what he's what he's wanting to do with me as part of our work together. <laughs> so I guess I have a question about the book. Then, when when the book comes out, you said it's similar to the the outline of the book. Very much follows the outline of the workshop that I um, in a very condensed way. The workshop follows the themes of the book. Um, a large part of the book will be. Um, Monster Tales as Parables. So I have this epistemology of, of the monster tale based on the different developmental streams. Um, and I specifically look at, at, at kind of in depth at specific monster movies um, and how they, they speak. The book, the one thing that the, I am not bringing into the book is the inter interactive. So this is not meant to be, the book is not meant to be, to, to like, oh, this is how you can, use exercises to expand this. Um, it's, it's very much about generating personal thought and there'll be, there'll be, there will be a writing exercises. Uh, for example, one of the exercises um, I do inspired by the invisible man is called invisible me, invisible me. So imagine that you unwittingly drink this potion and you're invisible um, for a whole week and it takes a whole week to wear off. Um, what are the sneaky things that you would attempt? You know, what would you do? What would so that you're exploring your own shadow material through this? Um, uh, the same would be if uh, uh, hide and go speak, which is another exercise I do, which is the very similar quality um, uh, using the the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, I also I have an exercise based on Basket Case, the movie I was telling you. Where is what are those shameful hidden things that you would keep in your basket? The way that in basket case, he keeps his little brother. Um, so, it, I will. Br I, I do have writing exercises in the book, but I don't do any of the like. Ex uh, I I don't have any of the um, experiential exercises that I do in the workshops as part of the book. Um, and the book is much more inductive in terms of my ideas, because uh, I basically give people in the workshops the thumbnails of of my ideas, and then launch them into their their personal work. Whereas you know, the book is kind of the opposite of that, where it's uh, a lot of my personal reflections on specific monster 
monster movies. And, and I, uh, part of it is autobiographical in terms of why monster movies speak to me so, uh, so acutely. Well, I mean, and, and you're a therapist, and, and hearing you talk about the book, it sounds like um, the book would be really useful to me because maybe I'm not so familiar with a lot of these monsters or specific movies, and it could really open my mind to, or, or you know, help me be a lot more creative um, in this area and learn a lot about these archetypes and then be able to apply that also with clients in the future. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's my goal. And that's my goal for uh, when I start to, to put things on the blog. This is exactly the kind of thing that I would I would put on the on my blog. So uh, ideas for uh, so for example, in Invisible Me, I'll do a short. I'll include a short article about um, some of the idea the ideas in the Invisible Man, and then post the uh, Invisible Me exercise and ask people to either share their reflections or um, and. Uh, I'm not certain whether or not yet I'll have a a forum so people can actually post or or if it's just but that that's the idea in it that people who can't get to the workshop series could still participate in some of these things through uh reading the blog looking at the blog. And so and where could people find the the blog? Uh, it's at monstermoviesalon.com. Yeah. Sure. And on there I have a um, a lot of the books that I drew inspiration from, like The Holy and the Horror by Kirk Schneider um, and uh, uh, Psychoanalysis in the Horror Movie. Um, yeah, it's a great list of books, by the way. I was taking a look at it, and and there's a few that I want to check out. Yeah, they're, they're all really great. All right, Doug, so monstermoviesalon.com is um, where people can find information about the workshop, the blog. Um, I'm guessing the book. Uh, we'll see more about the book there, too. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> I, I, I hope to have a draft done in November. So, Fantastic. And, um, and where can people find more information about you or contact you if they want to learn more about monsters uh, they, and therapy? They can also look at my, personal webs- uh, my professional website, which is Doug, D-O-U-G, Ronning, R-O-N-N-I-N-G.com. Fantastic. So, Doug, thank you so much for sharing your love of monsters and how you combined it with psychotherapy and drama therapy and this workshop and for walking us through that. Um, this is this is really, really great stuff. I love to see when people apply. I always say that um, if you're an expert in one thing um, and you bring that into your work, and in your case, you're, you're a therapist and you're, you seem to be an expert in monsters, so it's like <laughs> double expertise comes together, and I think um, people really benefit from it. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. All right, and for more information on Geek Therapy, uh, visit geektherapy.com or follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. Okay.